You are listening to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I am your host, Dr. Haley Schaff, and my goal is to empower you to become the alpha of your health. Hello and welcome back to Alpha Health and Wellness Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Haley, and I want to kick off the show before I get rambling and I forget because that is a common theme for me, is I really want to read a review from Mary on iTunes, life-changing info and relatable host equals, and I can't read the rest of it, but it's five star. And she says, this review is long overdue mainly because I listen on Spotify, but I jumped on here to support Haley with five stars because for all of the free info she provides, it's the least I could do. I found Haley and her podcast at a time when I was really questioning everything. I thought I knew about health from the foods I was eating to the chemicals in every skincare and cleaning product. Her info helped me embrace my intuition and redirect to a more natural, clean lifestyle. The biggest game changers for me have been removing packaged foods that contain processed seed oils, eating primarily organic, and switching to skincare household products free from xenoestrogens. Big one. That was my little side note. She keeps going. This is an amazing review. But beyond the information, I have benefited most from Haley's perspective and the community she's built. As a fellow 20-something female who has who also loves fitness and grew up in Western New York, I felt connected to her from the get-go. She delivers info in a relatable, down-to-earth way with some sarcasm and background rap music that only a true New Yorker could appreciate. <laughs> oh, I love that. The Alpha community has become my safe space to talk about my health without judgment, which has done wonders for my mental health during these unpredictable times. I follow her on literally every platform and encourage others to do the same if they are seeking empowerment and education, quote, and some really awesome community members, end quote. Thank you, Haley. I hope someday we can connect in real life. I'll take farmer's markets and bone broth over bars and alcohol any day. I had put this on um, Instagram and I had already chatted with Mary, but Mary has been so great because she is also in my alpha membership, which is awesome. And it, like she said, it's just hard. It feels like it's hard to connect with people sometimes in this day and age because there are very just polarizing topics, but within my membership, I, no matter where people stand on anything that's going on in today's age, we have educated, respectful, and nuanced discussion. So people feel like they have a safe space where they can go and ask questions and be, you know, and have just dialogue that I feel like we can't have on any other platform. So the membership has been great. And that review just made me smile for so many reasons. One, because I am who I am and I, I don't ever try to pretend to be somebody that I'm not. Most of the time, if you see me on social media, or even if you come see me in office, most of the time, I just am who I am. I'm not dialed up with a bunch of makeup, not knocking people that do that, but I'm just saying, I just, I am very comfortable with myself. I'm very comfortable with who I am. I'm very strong and sound in my beliefs and what I think, but I'm also very open-minded at the same time, which that's something that I've really worked on. Whereas I used to be very like, I don't know, lash out at things or I would be very triggered at things that I didn't agree with. Whereas now I'm very open-minded, which that has taken some internal work, but I just, I just seriously can't thank her enough. Mary, if you would mind sending me your mailing address, 
I would love to send you something. So just email me your mailing address at doc. Uh, you can send me that at drhaleyshoff at gmail.com, or you can actually just send me a message in the membership. Um, I would love to send you something special for that because that was just and truly genuinely heartfelt. And it just means so much. Honestly, I mean, you, I read every single review that you guys write. I go on, you know, like once every other week and I'll read reviews and catch myself up because I just, not that I'm just looking for just, oh my gosh, I love this show. You're so great. And it means so much, but it's just, it's such, it's so nice to have that feedback, to have what you guys are looking for, you know, in her case on how switching from processed seed oils and packaged foods to more of a whole food you know, as organic as much as she can die and how that's truly changed and how that's really just a simple swap that really just kind of takes being mindful and how that really can level up your health. I mean, that's great feedback for me because sometimes when I'm in consults and things with people and I'm like, okay, we need to do this. And they're like, that's what you want me to do. That that's it. Like, where's the fancy protocol? Where's this? I'm like, this is where we need to start. And don't get me wrong. I do the fancy protocols. We do all the fun things, but you need to be in a place of sound foundation before we even get there. And food and herbs and natural medicine truly can be so powerful as long as we use it appropriately and we're consistent with. And I think that's a thing just with natural medicine in general that a lot of people, we live in like a quick fix. So, you know, you have strep throat, you take an antibiotic and you're better in 24 hours. We, natural medicine isn't necessarily like that. And by natural medicine, I just mean living a natural lifestyle. You know, like you can't just eat a salad and maybe have some bone broth and, you know, have a piece of liver and like you're a hundred percent better. Natural health doesn't work as much that way. I mean, that's still an amazing start and that's not to knock people for even trying something one time, but just I think really we get the compounding benefit as in a day in day out thing. You know, it's the same thing with intermittent fasting or castor oil packs or coffee enema. I mean, anything that I talk about, we're not going to get just like a, okay, yep, you're cured. You're a hundred percent every day. Um, if you don't do it every day or if you not, not saying even every day, but just being consistently. Right. So, um, and today's topic is kind of piggybacking off that a little bit, maybe a little bit. Um, and I am, I want to chat about some like underlying reasons that I see people struggling to lose weight that goes just beyond calories. And this is a conversation on three particular hormones. And these hormones are hormones that everybody has. So whether you're male, female, whatever, we have these hormones. So this is not just like female specific. Whereas I feel like when we say hormones, a lot of people are like, Oh, we're just going to like chat about menstrual cycles and whatever. And Today's not really a conversation about that because we all have these hormones and we all make these hormones and or we all could be very resistant to some of these hormones. And this is a real thing. And this is something that like macros or, you know, calorie counting does not address. And these things are really sound to your metabolism. And as I'm kind of speaking out loud and my brain gears are turning, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's literally so many reasons that we can have weight loss resistance, but this is just one in particular, but there are hundreds. And as I'm thinking, I'm thinking of, okay, your detox pathways and all of these different things. And that's a different conversation for a different type of day. If you'd like information on that, I've talked quite extensively about detox pathways, um, in the past. So you can refer to those. And I'm actually looking to get some people in the books that we can chat more about things like that in the future, because there's some really great naturopaths that I follow that talk a lot about the stuff like that. So anyways, um, that's kind of 
a different topic. But anyways, these hormones that can influence weight loss or inhibit weight loss or can help with it either way, it influences it in one way or another, whether it's good or bad. And these are three different hormones. One is insulin, one is ghrelin, and one is leptin. And these might be things that you might not have heard about before because these are not as, well, insulin is, is, is probably like the superstar in terms of what you have most likely heard about with these hormones. But ghrelin and leptin might be ones that kind of have flown under the radar and might be ones that you just might not have heard about as much. And so because of that, um, I really wanted to have this discussion today because I work with a lot of people in clinical practice who they are doing all the right things. We go through a dietary recall. They're doing, they're doing a great job with food choices. They are not overeating, but they're struggling to lose weight. And I think, why is that? And Honestly, clinically, one of the biggest things is high blood sugar and insulin, which is something that a lot of people have. And so I guess we'll, because of that, we'll start with insulin. And I'm sure that that's probably also the most common hormone that you are all familiar with. Maybe you get your insulin done with a fasting insulin. Uh, maybe you've had a hemoglobin A1C. Maybe you are kind of familiar with like fasting blood sugar or what blood sugar means. And so we'll kind of start here and then kind of progress forward. But insulin essentially is a storage and growth hormone. So there's certain times where we, where insulin can be incredibly beneficial. Like insulin is very beneficial for a young baby who's trying to grow and, you know, wants growth and wants storage of fat. Like think about a baby. They're nice and like chunky. They got lots of fat storage. Insulin is great. And so we think of, okay, a baby eats like every few hours to stimulate insulin. And they're eating a lot of like sugar rich things that are hopefully found in breast milk. Cause that's like a good natural form and it's beneficial evolutionarily. But think about it. I mean, when you're eating every few hours, they're constantly stimulating their insulin. And that's how baby grows. But as adults, we don't want to be stimulating insulin all that much. I'd say in terms of stimulating kind of insulin to help with a growth phase, that's beneficial for athletes or people looking to put on muscle. So that's why, you know, the, I think the best time to have higher carbohydrate in the diet is after exercise, one to refill your glycogen store. But I have really changed my perspective. And I used to think that we wanted a high spike post workout. But what I found clinically is that that creates a blood sugar roller coaster throughout the rest of the day. So I used to take a post-workout drink and I would put in just a bunch of like straight carbohydrate that was essentially just table sugar. And then I'd be on a blood sugar roller coaster the rest of my day. And I was like, what the heck is going on? Well, I probably should stop drinking that sugar water too. So I stopped doing that a while ago, long time ago. And what I found is that we can do it more naturally. We can stimulate that insulin, healthy insulin level that we want for healthy muscle growth, but without sending yourself on this like blood sugar roller coaster, without having to eat every two to three hours, like all the bodybuilders say, I think that we can do it in kind of like this happy medium area where we can have carbs that do well for our body post-workout to help stimulate um, and refuel those glycogen stores, but without sending your insulin out of control. So like I said, insulin's a storage and growth hormone and it's going to just cause us to store store things. So when insulin is high, we will not you are not losing fat when there's insulin when high insulin is high, you just won't. So that just is the mechanism of essentially how that works. And so kind of just bringing this all into layman's terms, when insulin is high, 
Insulin is typically high followed by high blood sugar. So this is why it's really, really important to eat for blood sugar balance. We don't want to be on this roller coaster all day of like a high swing and then dip low. And then you eat something and then it spikes you up high. And then a few, two to three hours later, you're starving because your blood sugar is crashing because you don't know, you don't have that even balance. And so having healthy and balanced meals is probably the best place to start. So when I think of healthy and balanced meals, I'm thinking of protein forward, very generous, four to six ounces ish of protein, typically about like 30 to 40 grams per meal. So then we've got your protein. I've got what is my healthy fat? Maybe it's avocado. Maybe it's some olive oil. Maybe it's some grass fed butter. Maybe it's some olives. Maybe it's, you know, a handful of nuts or walnuts or whatever. Okay. And then probably about half my meal is non-starchy veggies. So whether it's leafy greens, broccoli, um, mushroom, you know, whatever, whatever non-starchy vegetable that is. Um, and then whatever my carb source will be. So notice that I'm not focusing primarily on like, Oh, a whole huge bowl of pasta with like a little bit of, you know, meatball. And then like, there's no fat. And then no wonder you're hungry in the middle of the night after you had a pasta dish, because it's not, it's, it's out of, it's spiking your blood sugar. It's digested super quickly. Um, so fiber is really great cause it will slow that down. It will slow down the glucose spike. It will modulate insulin levels. And, um, I think if you can focus really heavily on protein, healthy protein, high quality fat and anti-inflammatory fat and fibrous vegetables, that's a great place to start. And then on top of that, we can minimize our glucose spikes and insulin levels and our blood throughout the day by minimizing the amount of times that we're eating. So I used to come from the space where I probably ate like every two to three hours religiously. Like from the moment that I woke up, I put protein in my coffee. And then from there, it was just a cascade of like every two hours on the dot, I was hungry and I was lean. Um, but I relied on food and I was not metabolically healthy. And I was not because I could not go more than two hours probably without being hangry. And that's a good sign to know, like, if you are on a blood sugar roller coaster is, are you hangry? Can you go more than two to three hours without food? If you can't, you are not having a good time between switching fuel sources between carbs and fat. And so if you're metabolically healthy, when you kind of burn through your carbs, you burn through whatever you ate in that meal, you have reserve, right? Like we all have tons and tons and tons of calories just on our own body of body fat. So kind of bringing this down to like, how can we bring insulin back into balance? Eating less frequently, but eating larger, more nutrient dense meals is a great way to do that. So if you ate five to six times a day, there's no way you're eating super, super dense meals, like 600 plus calories, six times a day. Like you're just probably not doing that. You're probably like, you know, 150 calories here, 200 calories here, you know, it's very small, but I think that if we can beat bulk up the meal a little bit, you know, to a healthy portion, obviously, and then you'll be full for hopefully four to five hours plus, and then you don't feel the need to snack. You don't feel the need for constant caffeine or something to like give you that taste because you're just satisfied. And then it gives your body's ability to like, okay, when you're not eating, your body's able to like go through and actually digest, which is great. But then your body's actually able to burn body fat when you're not eating once it's burned what you've eaten at your meal. And that's kind of the primary goal, especially if you're struggling with weight loss, is it not? So that's one of my favorite things. And then on top of that, things that have been shown to lower insulin levels, very 
profoundly is intermittent fasting. And intermittent fasting does not have to be like two meals a day, you're eating at 12 and then you're eating at five or you're eating at, you know, two and then you're eating at six. That That is like, you don't have, intermittent fasting and fasting in general just means to go without. And we are meant to go without food for some extended period of time, not obsessively or not, you know, to a large and copious and extreme extent but like we are meant to definitely go without food we're not meant to be eating all the all the time we're definitely not meant to be eating for almost 20 hours a day which some people do (laughs) you know so intermittent fast to me which I'm hoping and I will have some intermittent fasting experts on because I know that's something I get a lot of questions about it's something I practice myself and typically you know I'd say 12 to 13 hours overnight is a great place to start, especially if you are struggling with metabolic flexibility. So maybe that means, okay, if you stop eating dinner at seven, you don't eat again until eight o'clock the next day. And 13 hours is a really, really great time to fast, especially for cancer prevention. They've done quite a few studies on breast cancer prevention. So for me, having a history of breast cancer in my family, I am always at a 13 hours minimum. A lot of times I've just been, especially in the first half of my cycle, I typically tend to fast like 15, 16, maybe 17 hours, but then I really load up my eating window and I'm eating plenty of calories and I do not fast that extensively in the second phase of my cycle, in the luteal phase, because it's just too much stress. So then I typically back it down to like 13, 14-ish hours, sometimes 15. But anyways, that's kind of... Intermittent fasting has been shown to significantly reduce prediabetes and diabetes. It's been shown to reduce insulin levels. It's really great for making you more metabolically flexible. It's really great for resetting insulin. So in a nutshell, we want insulin to be not always activated. We don't always want insulin in our blood. And so how this happens is like, so when we eat something with carbs, I should have probably said this earlier, but when we eat something, our blood sugar is going to go up. And insulin is the hormone that helps get blood sugar into the cell. So it's not in our bloodstream and it's into our cells so that we can use it for energy. But what happens when we are either insulin resistant, we are, um, we are not having healthy blood sugar level. We can be prone to just blood sugar staying in our blood because the insulin is not getting into the cell. So Danielle Hamilton explained that very, very, very well in my podcast. Um, And and if you guys would like some more information or a podcast to refer back to, if you have not already listened, you can listen to episode number 25 with Danielle Hamilton, where she talks a lot about that, or, and or, episode 33 with Michelle Hearn, who, uh, who wrote The Dietitian's Dilemma and talked about essentially the epidemic of high blood sugar and insulin resistance in our society. And that's kind of the problem is insulin resistance is kind of like your cells just stop listening to insulin. It's, it's resistance. And so, you know, your insulin's kind of like, okay, let the glucose in, let the glucose in. And your cells are just like, no, you keep asking us that. No, we're not listening to you anymore. It's annoying. We're not listening. And so that's essentially what insulin is. And then, so that when there's high blood sugar or when there's blood sugar in the blood, or when there's high sugar levels in the blood, excuse me, then we can't, we're not going to dip into our fat stores because 
we have plenty of energy accessible, but our body's just not able to use them. So this even just comes down to even just a cellular level of health, which I know is complex and kind of overwhelming and kind of crazy to think about how amazing the body is when you actually kind of learn the mechanism of things. And I hope that I'm explaining this in an easy to understand way that's then you're able to kind of go out and, you know, utilize this stuff, but also understand how your body works a little bit better. Cause I think that we have lacked in that in terms of, we don't really know how our body works and it shouldn't take, you know, a doctor or somebody high up in science to teach us that. I think that these are all things that we should know. And so that's why I'm here to, hoping to teach you. So that's kind of insulin. And so the, in the nutshell with that is when insulin, when there's insulin resistance or and insulin levels are high and blood sugar levels are high, we are not able to tap into our fat stores to burn body fat or burn dietary fat that we have consumed. And so therefore we are running on a blood sugar roller coaster, constantly seeking carbs to intake so that we can continue to perpetuate this cycle. And so insulin is very, very incredibly important. So refer to those two episodes if you'd like to learn a little bit more about that and how we can be a little bit more metabolically flexible. And also stay tuned because I'm interviewing somebody later this month on metabolic flexibility. So there will definitely be more to come on that. And kind of just to also piggyback, piggyback on this, I am going to be doing a metabolic kind of reset and metabolic coaching within my membership, um, where we'll wear continuous glucose monitors and we'll use the group platform to kind of go through what we're learning in terms of, you know, I can eat a sweet potato and be fine, but somebody else can eat a sweet potato and it might spike them. And so it's very interesting that we can learn what foods work for us, what lifestyle works for us so that we can really truly create the best bio-individual diet. Because I will say it once, I will say it again, there is no perfect thing for everybody. There's no one size fits all. There's no one size medicine. There's no one size fits all diet. There's no one size fits all anything. We are very bio-individual and we need to find out what works for us and our body. And I think that's a really interesting and fun way to do it. So if that sounds interesting to you, just make sure you're on my email list so that you know that when I'm launching that within my membership, or you can just join the membership and then you'll obviously have all the info on that. Next, let's talk about the other hormones that can be involved here. And so those hormones are, like I said, ghrelin and leptin. So ghrelin is that hunger hormone and leptin is that I'm full, I'm satisfied, I'm, we, we don't have to eat any more hormone. And so these hormones very much so correlate with insulin resistance, especially leptin and insulin. So when insulin is high, sometimes we can have some issues with leptin and especially with individuals who are overweight, leptin is ab- like absolutely going to be thrown off because leptin is that, like I said, it's that feeling of we're satisfied, we don't need to eat anymore, like we are full. Whereas when you're overweight and insulin resistance, leptin, we do not have good leptin signaling. So we, our bodies, our brain is not telling our bodies that we, we aren't full. We aren't, we don't know if we're full because we're not producing adequate leptin because ad, extra adiposity interferes with that. Insulin interferes with that. So if we're not told that we're satisfied and we're full, we can continue to eat. And that's not good because then you'll continue to eat even when you truly are full, but you just don't have that proper signaling. So this is really a whole body mechanism. Whereas ghrelin is that hunger hormone. Ghrelin is what kind of, you feel like your stomach growling and you feel like it, you feel 
slight hunger. And now I want to just preface hunger is not like I'm going to run somebody over with my shopping cart if I don't get to the granola aisle fast enough. That's not hunger. That's hanger. And that is insulin resistance. Hunger is that kind of feeling in your stomach where you just say, you know, I could eat soon. I I feel like I could eat. If it was put in front of me, I could eat something. It's not that in, it's not that crazy person feeling that I'm, I've felt before too. I mean, I will tell you a story. (laughs) I was coming back from Punta Cana with Nick and his family. We had probably been dating for two years. So we were young in our relationship and I was hangry. We had been traveling all day and we had gotten Chipotle or something. And I like, wasn't even speaking to him because I was so hungry. And then he's telling us that we're going to sit down and eat it. And I'm just like, I'm going to the terminal. And I like literally sprinted to the terminal so that I could eat my food. And it was just embarrassing. (laughs) Oh, it was embarrassing. I think I scared his sister a little bit because of how hangry I was. And see, you don't have to be like that. Hanger, let's stop. Let's stop making hangry a normal thing because it's not. And it's not fun. It's not fun to feel that way. Whereas now, I think when Nick and I traveled to St. Lucia, I think I didn't want to eat anything in the airport. So I think I fasted since like from like 3 p.m. until the next day because I just, I just could. And I didn't want to eat the crappy food and I had plenty of fine energy levels, but it takes time. And so with the leptin of not feeling full, that's I think what causes people to overeat and not have that feeling of, oh, okay, I'm satisfied. One of the big things that screws up leptin is packaged and processed foods. That If you refer to the episode I did on food ingredients, these food scientists make this food incredibly hyperpalatable that you don't even acknowledge leptin because it is so darn good that you could eat the whole thing. Like think of a whole thing of Oreos or think of M&Ms, like a bag of chips. You could down the whole thing and not even think about it. There's plenty of calories in there that that would, you would clearly overeat, but you could easily eat the whole thing because it's incredibly hyperpalatable. So these hyperpalatable fake foods definitely messed with leptin and its ability to communicate with us to tell us that we're full. Whereas real foods don't have that mess up in signaling. Real foods will kind of transition you back to more leptin sensitivity, which is exactly what we want. Whereas fake foods, processed foods, stuff with the ingredients that we had chatted about in that episode that's definitely going to mess with your leptin. Um, and so, like I said, the extra, extra body weight obviously can help with that. But then we have this conversation and these hormones playing in with, we've got insulin, leptin, they kind of go together a little bit. So those are kind of the two ones that I really want to focus on. And that's why when people come to me and they're like, I just feel like I can't stop eating and I feel insatiably hungry. And no matter what I do, I can't stop. I say, stop right there. We have some form of insulin resistance and there's probably some form of leptin resistance as well. And because of that, your body is not properly working to tell yourself, okay, we are full. We're satisfied. We're nourished. Instead, it's extremely confused. It's just looking for calories. It's looking for energy and it's looking to something that can put you back on that blood sugar roller coaster so that you kind of get that hit for 30 to 60 minutes, you feel great. You get that dopamine hit from that protein bar or whatever that you're eating, but then you're right back on it. And so kind of in summary, in summary, one of the biggest things that we can do is consume more protein and healthy fat with each meal, more fibrous veggies that are going to keep you full and give you actual and real nourishment, 
stop eating all day long. Stop with the five to six meals. Minimize the snacking the best you can because every time we do that, we're, we're stimulating insulin and we're, we could be messing with leptin, especially if you find yourself that you're a chronic snacker and you eat periodically throughout the day. That's absolutely messing. And that includes sugary drinks. That includes your, uh, your Starbucks chai latte. That includes, you know, I, that includes all of those kind of things that you're snacking on and sipping on that are caloric throughout the day. So I tell people, if you can kind of stick to three whole nutrient dense meals, great. And then if you can also have 13, 12 to 13 hours minimum from the last time that you ate dinner until the time that you're eating again the next day, that's a really great way to reset. And I think that's the best place to start. If you feel like you're more advanced than that, then you can absolutely increase your fasting window a little bit. You can play around with some things there, but for most people, that's where they need to start. Most people need to just stop snacking throughout the day and they need to increase their overnight fast just a little bit. And it's not crazy. I mean, like I said, if you stop eating dinner at six or seven, you're eating again, you can eat again the next day at six, you know, between six and eight. That's, that's pretty normal. But instead we snack until bedtime at like nine 30, 10 o'clock. And then you wake up at six and then you're probably eating something. And so if you can kind of have that 12 to 13 hours, that's the best free way, in my opinion, to to reset your insulin levels, um, to reset your blood sugar levels, to help with leptin. Because then when you actually start fasting and you start to get metabolically flexible, you actually know what true hunger feels like. And it's not this, oh my God, I'm going to die. It's this, okay, you know, I, uh, you know, it's been about 15 hours. I, I think I could eat soon. You know, today I had a much longer fast. I just got doing work and after my workout, I, I don't like to eat directly after my workout. Cause I find that I'm, especially since I did a Metcon, So I was still kind of in a sympathetic state. I was not going to just start making breakfast and force myself to sit down. Cause I didn't have to, um, I could work and then I could make something a little bit later and you know, it got to almost 17 hours and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could eat. I could eat something. And my breakfast was huge. Um, and I don't feel bloated, obviously, because that's not normal. But I ate a super nourishing meal and I was able to push it a little bit longer. And like I said, I don't push it all month long because that can mess I, I you, that can mess with like your progesterone levels and stuff if you're a female. But it's just, it's really interesting when you can know your body and know what real hunger feels like. And then if I have a day where I have something I don't typically have, and then I'm ravenously hungry. I'm like, okay, yeah, I think, I think I'm on a blood sugar kind of thing here. So I'm going to just have protein and fat at my next meal and some fiber. And then that kind of can nip it before it, it gets out of control. Whereas then you're craving granola and grains and, you know, all these things and, you know, different, whatever, you know, whatever that craving is for you. Um, but I hope that you guys feel that it's, I don't want it to be, I want it to be empowering to know that it's not just the calories that you eat that matters. It's how you're eating. It's how often you're eating. You know, all those things definitely play, play into, you know, how you store fat or how well you can burn your own body fat. And so I hope you can take today's episode to kind of maybe make some tweaks in your diet. Maybe you learned about some hormones that you maybe hadn't learned about as much. 
you know, insulin, like I said, is definitely kind of in my mind and clinical eyes, the star of the show here, but leptin is also a big thing too, because with insulin resistance, I'm seeing leptin resistance and people feel that no matter how much they're eating, they just don't feel full and satisfied. And that's definitely a leptin thing. So when we get the insulin under control, the leptin I find tends to follow. And then you can have more normal ghrelin signals and more normal hunger signals the more metabolically flexible you are. So I hope that you guys enjoyed this podcast. I will see you on next week's show. And thanks so much for listening.